Hello, we are the Manic Street Speakers. The police outside are rioting. The people in charge are revolting. But at least we have this safe space to talk about the best band in the world. Let me introduce you first to a woman who is a legend in her own bedroom. <laughs> that sounds dodgy. Well, it's going to get worse. <laughs> she dresses up and she performs for her public by posting videos on the internet. Get your minds out of the gutter. It's on YouTube. It's Emma. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Mrs. Mannix. Um, <laughs> let me please introduce you to the host of this podcast. His Twitter profile describes him as a rock star who can't play guitar very well. But hey, we're Mannix fans and we know that doesn't matter. Seeing as he has starred in several films and TV shows, there's probably no point in me even doing an intro because you surely already know him. It's Michael! Did, did uh, my agent tell you about my amazing career success as an actor? I, I did have communication earlier, yes. <laughs> I've appeared in twice in my favourite TV show, Being Human, by the way. Go watch it. I'm in the field in front of a, in a, in front of a country house and I'm slapping my face. Was there a reason for that? They took three or four sh- shots of it and for some reason they like to include the version where I was slapping my face. And there's another scene I'm in where you can see maybe the outline of my hair behind someone else. Ah. I'm also in Broadchurch. I was going to say we have both appeared with David Tennant. We are both thespians who have worked with David Tennant. I would say you can't talk about it, but you did post a video of, of it on Mrs. Mannix's YouTube. Well, I'm not allowed to say what the TV show was, um, but I can say that it was filmed by my sister and um i'm assuming my sister is also editing it uh my sister by the way does work in film and tv i should i should throw that out there but yes she she called me one day and said i am doing something exciting with david tennant um (laughs) uh, would you like to be involved and i said yes and i went along and i play businesswoman on laptop uh, so I I wander past him whilst he's filming and having a chat with the star of the show because the star unbelievably isn't David Tennant. Um, and I walk past and I set up on my little table and I've got my laptop out and I'm busy typing on my laptop and um, yeah I have to react. He has to shout something at me and I have to sort of raise my eyebrows and pull a face. And it was very strange. I because I'm I film myself for my YouTube channel i'm very used to setting up cameras and lights and microphones and talking to camera that's fine i'm very natural well not well hopefully i'm quite natural at that but when somebody else is all setting up okay and now if you can just look at us like you're horrified you know (laughs) that's um that's a peculiar experience but i very much enjoyed it it's a bit more impressive than my story because i'm in the background of a scene in broadchurch series two uh jodie whittaker's there david david tennant's there and they're walking into the court, and they blurred out the background. No! Only I and the friend that I was with that day know that I'm in Broadchurch, even though it's one of the biggest shows of the past decade.
the BBC did a poetry um, series and they had various celebrities host episodes about different poets. And I was on Forever Delayed back then, the Manics Forum, and uh, the people who are making this TV show put out an advert and said, if you're a Manic Street Preachers fan and you're a fan of Sylvia Plath, um, can you get in touch because we need people for this programme? And I got in touch and said that when I did poetry when I was at sixth form, I was the only person who liked Plath. Everyone else hated it. I was the only person who was quite happy to read all this Plath stuff. I'm more of a pinter guy, yeah? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. I just really, I just love me some Plath. And um, and they said, oh, would you come to London? We'll pay for it all. And um, you'll be meeting, um, you'll be you'll be filming with Robert Webb. Um, of of Mitchell and Webb fame and so I went to London and I met Robert Webb and we went to a little bakery you met Jez I did meet Jez and yeah he bought me cake and uh, I can't remember if it was tea or coffee but we sat and we chatted about the Mannix for ages and um, I had to do a dramatic reading of (laughs) of a Sylvia Plath poem to camera Um, and then I got an email a few days later to say, well, not a few days, it was probably a few weeks later, to say, um, we've decided to cut all the stuff about Plath and focus on another poet. <laughs> I never made the episode. Robert Webb did do an episode because uh, he had done two poets in his episode. And yeah, all the Plath stuff got cut. So, But before that... <laughs> Is Robert Webb a Mannix fan? Robert Webb's a huge Mannix fan, yeah. And he, when we were talking, and he was like, oh, there's all the, like, um, quotes on Generation Terrace, aren't there? There's so many quotes on Generation And I was just like, oh, you actually know your stuff? Um, yes, he's awesome. But before that, my first television appearance um, was on Blue Peter when I was very small. But it was cut again. If this new David Tennant sh- programme or whatever it is, <laughs> film whatever, comes out and you are not in it, I will be so angry. Well, my sister is in charge of that. So quite frankly, if she cuts me, I will cut her. (laughs) Uh, Right. On that note, I think we should delve into this episode's B-side. It is called First Republic. First Republic was released on 30th September 1996 as a B-side to Kevin Carter. Uh, firstly, Emma, mm-hmm. are you a monarchist? Very much not. Um, I The one I like, well, no, there are two. I like Harry and I like Meghan. Um, um, I'm not either. Ron Princess Diana died. Mm. The country went a bit mad. This was yeah, actually, this was released about a year before that before that happened, and my mum, bless her, she recorded the funeral on VHS, and some and she watched it. She watched it that day, and sometimes I'd get home from wherever I was over the course of the next few months, and she'd just be sat watching the funeral parade. (laughs) Wow, 
I know, and it's just I just I couldn't understand it. I, I still don't nowadays. I will admit, when that all happened, I did, I did sort of go, "Oh my god!" And I was quite fascinated. I do remember watching the funeral, and I do remember thinking, because William is not um, much older than me, and I think he's a few months older than me. Um, and I do remember thinking, "Oh my goodness!" You know, that's an absolutely horrible thing to happen. Um, and be, yeah, I was quite intrigued by it. I'd never seen anything like it, you know, um, the sort of sea of grief that came out from everybody. But yeah, I must say, I watched The Crown and I actually watched an episode last night that made me feel slightly sorry for Prince Charles and I was really angry with it. <laughs> I um, I watched it with my mum and it got to the end and I just went, oh, that made me feel slightly sorry for Prince Charles. And my mum went, I know. <laughs> did, she, did she say it like a royal? I know. That was my first word, you know. The, my first word was no, and apparently I used to say it like that. No. So uh, <laughs> there's an interesting tidbit. But um, but yes, no, I am not a royalist. Mannix over the years have done a few anti-royal songs. Mm. Um, I think this is their best by a country mile. Yeah, I will go with you on that. You've got to think about the time we're in we're in like the 1996 the height of Britpop yeah there is there is a Britpop sound to the production and the guitars it sounds mm-hmm. the, the guitars to me sound very suede in a way I've made notes and my very first line is I like the dirty sounding guitar it was like suede like gone wrong yeah. gone rogue animal nitrate as a similar yeah. the height of British coolness Royal Britannia and all that was there yeah. And Mannix were like making it big at that time. And even though the sound is is quite Britpop, everything about this song is totally against Britpop. And I guess that's why the the, the band stood out at that time like a sore mm-hmm. thumb. Because even though they became massive, they're still like writing songs like this. And I particularly love James's voice. For me, this is me ad-libbing, this is not a note. For me, there is a sweet spot of James Dean Bradfield's singing voice between around 1994 to about 1998. That is the Bradfield sweet spot for me. Well, I would say he changed quite a lot from from early Mannix to kind of what he does now in exactly that time. If you could think yeah. about like the, the Holy Bible and then this is my truth. Yeah, so I have this sweet spot and I really love his voice in this. It, it, it I can't describe this period of time where his voice sounded a certain way but go and listen to this song because that's it he's he's sneering isn't he but there's also like a slight lightness to it that i think has gone a little bit over the years perhaps too many cigarettes you know but not that i'm complaining about his gravelliness i'm just saying um so yeah I like the fact that you could play this song and it sits nicely alongside the other B-sides from this era, such as Mr. Carbohydrate, in terms of sound. Um, and I also like the fact that, for me, this song feels very much like it's somewhere between the Holy Bible and Everything Must Go. It is, and this is what I've written, and it's very... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Pompous, probably. <laughs> or obnoxious. I have written this to me, is the sound of a band in metamorphosis. Uh, lyrically, it's Nicky at his anti-royal finest. I hope you have really guillotined your own head. He's not Amazing. pulling his punches, and I bloody love it. You, you make a good point, actually, about 
the transition between the Holy Bible and everything must go. It is very dark and very, I don't know, probably a bit over the top in how they write this. But the, when I hear this song, it does give me those goosebumps of like, yeah. like you are so alone in Kensington Palace. We should be content in these damp terraces. Thank yeah. you, thank you for this view from my council estates. I hope you really guillotined your own head. You can't not picture what they're trying to get you to picture. You once gave us, this is my favourite bit, you once gave us war, racism and slavery, cut out all our tongues and fucked our industry. Now you've revealed something, you're human after all this. And this is the best delivery of the the line in the whole song. But let's clap our hands and fuck our dear princess. I think they've written quite a few songs where they reference being, you know, anti-monarchy. I just think they do it so well in this song. The best line in the song isn't that. It is, we want to play, yes, we want to play. And the way he says it, in burnt out palace ruins. Mm. I just love it. I know it's like, it's so over the top and and not based in reality. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's so vivid. Yeah. And the fact that that's a Nicky lyric. Nicky always says he wanted to be misunderstood, but I think this song is very you you can't you can't misunderstand what he's trying to say. You can you get the message very clearly and I I think it paints a really vivid picture. When you set out to write a song on a set subject matter, it can be quite hard. You know, even Nicky struggled with it sometimes. Yeah. If if you want to be precise about something, but this has it all. This says literally from the moment it starts to the moment it ends, you know exactly what it's about. You mm. know where they stand, and you can yeah. you can feel that seething anger about it and injust yeah. injustice, working class injustice, I guess. Mm. And sometimes you probably need to go a bit over the top with it. You know, burnt out palace ruins and mm. guillotining your own head. I'd rather they painted me a really vivid picture and said, "This is what we stand for," than gave me SYMO. What would your rating be? I was really torn. I wanted to give it four stars out of five. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to because there are other B-sides I love so much more, even though I do love this. So I've given it three and a half. Not an option on Twitter, but we'll allow it for us because we're the hosts (laughs) and we can make our own rules. Um, I'm going with four because it just it's one of those one of those songs that just makes my I don't know just put hairs on the back of your neck and all that kind of stuff it's just like wow it's got that impact um I put this to Twitter for a poll no half no half rating sorry that's that's the way it goes um five stars was 13 percent four stars 67 percent oh a popular choice three stars 20 percent and no two stars. Motor Michael Emptiness, which is a Twitter name I wish I had now, says the lyrics sit on the fence a little, little, in my honest opinion. Cheeky face. <laughs> I really like it, and the lyrics seem still very relevant today. It doesn't fit in with the album, though. That's what I mean about, I think, that, that phase of feeling like it's between the Holy Bible and Everything Must Go. Everything Must Go has got such a coherent sound from the start to the end. Oh. It's just, yeah. That is, it's a polished album. It's very euphoric. This song, you can hear that same sort of euphoric tone to it, but 
I yeah, I wouldn't put it on the album. Um, I've got one more comment. Francesca says, "I'm a monarchist, but I love this song. That's how good it is." So it's time for me to wiggle the finger of Manic's past for the next B-side. So I'm scrolling up and down the screen. Okay. And you need to just say... Stop! Collaborate and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Red rubber. I'm sorry, say that again. Red rubber. I do know it. I'm being a donkey. One of my other favourite Manic B-sides. <laughs> This week we have two more of your Manix origin stories. We've got a few lined up, but I think last week we went on way too long. If you want to send us written or audio messages, you can send it to manixspeaker at gmail.com. Emma, do you want to do the first one? I would love to. This is from Danny. And Danny says... (laughs) (laughs) I have to, you know, just, you know... I was 15 when I first heard the Manics on Radio 1. Back in 1991, the best show was the evening session weeknights at 7pm, which played indie, baggy and shoegaze. I would record my homework with a finger on my record button on my twin tape deck. Then were the days. The first Manic song I heard was Love Sweet Exile, which blew me away and was unlike anything I'd heard. This was six months before Nirvana broke into the mainstream. The Manics had the fury, the looks, the slogans and the lyrics. The debut album was amazing, but at the time I thought they'd already sold out with motorcycle emptiness. They made statements that they'd split after their debut album, and the second album suffered by comparison, but I was obsessed with the Holy Bible, which I opened on Christmas Day 1994. Rich's disappearance was a huge shock and I didn't expect them to continue. When they came back with a new orchestrated sound and huge anthems, I was definitely classified as old Manix fan, but still enjoyed the next few albums as I went from cult band to stadium rockets. I finally saw them headlining V99, but I stopped following them after you know 
you know your enemy, know your enemy. I emigrated to Australia and had a family and 12 years later I heard Rewind the Film and since then I casually reconnected and usually enjoy two or three tracks of each new album. I'm pleased they're still together but to me they'll always be those gobby, intelligent, androgynous dark punks from the early 90s. By the way, I've never listened to Journal for Plague Lovers. I'm saving this album of Richie's songs and one day I'll savour it and hope to be blown away again. Hang on, read that last sentence again. I'm saving this album of Richie's songs and one day I will savour it and hope to be blown away again. I think that might almost be like hyping it even yeah. even more than... Wow. Channel for Plague Lovers, I mean, partly because I have the version that's like a booklet. It's the only one of the Manics albums that isn't just on my shelf. It stands <laughs> next to my CD player. Um, and it's partly because it doesn't fit on my shelf, <laughs> but it is also because, you know, it's, it's a special one. Danny, your willpower is excellent. <laughs> I bet he doesn't smoke, I bet he doesn't drink, I bet he doesn't gamble. <laughs> He's so pure. So my story is from Michael Tran. He says, I grew up in a fairly traditional Chinese household where any form of creative culture such as art, music and film were considered unimportant and merely a distraction. So it's no surprise that my early musical experiences mainly consisted of NAF early 90s chart hits. Nothing wrong with that. Love a bit of NAF 90s chart hits. From the occasional Top of the Pops episode and or cheesy canto pop my uncle used to live, who lived with us at the time, would have on in the background. Secondary school changed everything. Well, more precisely, friends changed everything. I was 13, it was 1997, and I was given a cassette tape by my best friend, Tommy Williams. Hello, Tommy. Hi, Tommy. That literally changed my life. It contained a mix of indie pop classics, and I loved it. The likes of Blur, Sleeper, Supergrass, Dodgy, insert generic 90s indie band here, all made an impact because they were so catchy, but there was one song on there that was a different beast. It was catchy, don't get me wrong, but unlike the rest, it was serious, brooding, epic, honest and heartfelt. The song was a design for life. What did it mean? What was he singing about? Even the name of the band, Manic Street Preacher, stood out from the others and it intrigued me. For once, music meant more than just making you feel happy or something to dance along to. I was obsessed from there on in. Not long after the Manics released If You Tolerate This as a single... And I remember buying it the day it was out from Woolies and rushing home to play it from our, on our old multi-disc CD player non-stop. Discovering the rest of the back catalogue soon followed, and I still inter- inter- anticipate every new release and tour. No band has ever and hasn't ever since made me inquire and question things about culture, art and politics. The appeal of the Manics didn't last for my friends, after This Is My Truth, and people who I now talk to music about don't get get it but i always did they're often misunderstood and grossly underrated but that's why i love them more god bless the manix that is a sort of thing that genuinely makes me proud to be a fan they can speak to your heart or your mind i think and that's yeah. why and that's why i think there's different stories about where they you know you, you can talk about politics art or whatever and someone that's their through line to the band and I love that. I just love that people have... The, we said... I know we've said it before. We said it in the first episode. There's so many people that have these different stories. But it's... There's this common theme of... It made me think. 
you know, or it made it made me want to find out more about X, Y, or Z. It made me that. read that book. It made me listen to that yeah. record. It made yeah. me watch that film. It made me think about the words in those things. Feel free to send us more more of these, manicspeaker at gmail.com, and we would love your audio recordings because otherwise it's just us blabbering on. Postcards from a Young Man was released on 20th of September 2010. It is the band's 10th studio album. It was produced by Dave Aringa and Loz Williams and the band themselves. Um, I would say critically, mm. as with a lot of the more recent Manix albums, I, I would say the view on the, the album is quite positive. Uh, a review from Pop Matters says that although far from being a disaster, well, that's not a good start, the <laughs> initiated should become familiar with something more enduring before settling on postcards for a, from a young man. Oh, bit mean. Enemy gave it 7 out of 10. The Manic's 10th offensive is a playful beast, poignant, joyful and above all really loud. Postcards doesn't so much run with the ball as kick the shit out of the stadium. Ooh. I kind of like that. And yeah. I, I don't like the enemy. I was always more of a melody maker girl. I have a melody maker bitch of the week badge. Oh. And I'm very proud that I was once melody maker's bitch of the week. I was bitching about Kelly Jones from the Stereophonics because he'd slagged off the Mannix. Oh, I think you've sent me that before. I think you sent me a picture yeah. of it. Yeah. Something about his eyebrows overtaking the Gallagher brothers at an alarming rate. I've never been a bitch of the week because I've never been a bitch. No, you're a good boy. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> right, Slant Magazine. The band's rallying may fall on deaf ears. For all the furious posturing, the message is veneered too neatly with streamlined riffs and swamped too deep in nicest pie orchestral melodies. You see, I disagree with that. Oh, you do as well. And we will no doubt cover that. Mm. Um, the Quietus. What is abundantly clear is that on this form they retain both the ambition and the fire in their bellies to take on all comers. The essential contradictions which run through the heart of the Manic Street Preachers are still very much in place. Postcards is the sound of a band shedding the baggage of a turbulent past. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There are snippets of what they've said. I have, as always, written notes. Um, there are snippets of what they've said there that will that I feel like I will be almost repeating. Um, Clash gave it 8 out of 10. There will be plenty of people who opt to be snobby about the fact that this record is so commercial, so polished and so brazen. But those people are all, to a man, idiots. If you, ca- if you can't love these songs, you are an incapable of experience joy itself. Wow! I I always did like them. 
<laughs> whoever, whoever they are. I completely forgot whose review that was. I'm sorry. Clash magazine. There we go. I always did like Clash. Amongst fans, this has got a bad reputation. This is this is an album that has been slagged off for years by I would say hardcore Manix fans. And I I looked at Amazon Music's average score rating is four point four out of five. Okay. Metacritic score is eight out of ten. Oh. So. See, I'm actively trying to seek out the negative because that's all I've heard from most fans about this album over the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do you think James placed the album on a Rank Your Records interview? Oh, I'm going to say somewhere around the middle. Like five. Oh, he placed it sixth. I mean, I'll take that. I'll take that. That wasn't a bad guess. And I was quite pleased with that because I... I mean, we said it last week. It's no spoiler. We are pretty big fans of this album. Yeah. I think it's a really strong, really good album. Mm. And every time I went on the forum or went on Twitter, around certainly around the first two or three years after it was released, it seemed to be overwhelmingly negative. I felt defensive about this album for ten years. There were a lot of people that just had beef with this album and I never entirely understood why. This is something that I don't understand personally, but Nicky Wire said it was their one last shot at mass communication, which I don't think is a bad statement in itself, but fans really grasped hold of that and, and I don't know why what he said is a bad thing. I think a lot of people saw it as, oh, so you're just going to try and sell out, are you? You're just going to try and do something everybody like. You're going to appeal to the casual listeners. And the trouble is, I don't, A, I don't think that's what they did. I, I, I really genuinely don't think that the Manics went, oh, let's just put something out that everyone will play on the radio and not give a toss about whether or not it's actually what we want to make. I don't believe they're a band that would do that. But not... Aside from that, I think if you're a band and you your bread and butter is record sales, you know, surely you want people to buy it. So actually saying, let's try and make something that people want to listen to, whether they're casual listeners or fans, it's not... I don't have a problem with that. The Manics have always wanted to sell records. They've, they've yeah. done it from their very first album. They said they want to be massive. They want to sell 16 million records. They want to do this. They want to get their message across to as many people as they want, as many people as was possible. Yeah. So I don't understand why, when they say it in 2010, it's suddenly a bad thing. I think the production, the, the fact it is probably overproduced and they throw a lot at it, mm. actually suits this album. I agree. I think the the songs have got a, they've. I wouldn't like to compare it to other albums. However, earlier on, I described "Everything Must Go" as being quite a euphoric sounding album because it's got the strings, it's got the very soaring production, and I think this has a very similar sonic quality to it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's actually quite quintessentially Manix to have this euphoric. Mm sound and and this big lush string section these days ever since around you know 1996 it has been a a big manic thing i mean you could argue before then because there are strings on um 
Oh my god. Gold Against the Soul. I literally yeah. had a mental black. <laughs> what was that album called? But yeah, you know, they've always had this let's make it sound lush and I think this this just goes with that. It enlivens exactly the the vibe and aesthetic it's going for. It's 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 boosting it and making it loud and and you know, kitchen sink and all that because it suits yeah. it suits what the album is trying to do. I agree. <laughs> Nikki, before again, take everything with a pinch of salt. Before release, he called it heavy metal Tamlet Motown. Yeah. I.e., he added to it Van Halen playing the Supremes. I can see where he's coming from. I, I backtrack. You can you can see where he's coming from. I can see where he's coming from. I genuinely can. I think sometimes Nicky comes out with these things and you listen to him and you go, what the fuck are you on? But at the same time, sometimes he says something and you can sort of, when you actually listen to it and you think, I can get where you're coming from. That that I get Motown. I do genuinely get a little bit of Motown in some of these songs. And I, I, I wouldn't say heavy metal, but it is like there are certain songs where there's a juxtaposition on the album and I think the album actually flows really nicely but there is like a juxtaposition between let's have a slightly rawer song and now let's have one with a choir in it. Thank you for saying that it flows really well because I totally agree I think this is one of their most coherent albums. Hmm. It it just everything fits together so well it flows so well as well. Okay we'll touch on the cover the picture is of actor Tim Roth who James is a big fan of. Um, and stylistically this photo does fit with the album's themes Nicky said the fact he's got a huge Polaroid camera is what gets it gets me because I'm a huge Polaroid fan the album is quite nostalgic touchstones of our youth are kind of burned into our memories and, and reflected in this album it does suit them I think this cover yeah because yeah. I think they're quite an analogue band mm. Nicky is obsessed with Polaroid photography James yeah has a pure hatred of social media i do think this really works as a cover yeah and i actually really like um just opening the album for a second i i really like the album's the album uh, booklet that comes with it because you get the little postcards and the old photos and i just think that carries that sense of nostalgia forward everything gelled together in terms of what they were trying to do yeah and i think a lot of the themes in the album really match up well Mm, mm. No, I just there are certain albums that I will listen to, and I'm not just talking about the Manics now, just albums in general. That you listen to, and one song goes to the next one with such speed and such a change in tone that you almost get like a crick in your neck from going what. But I can listen to postcards, and I'm just like, yeah, every song makes sense. It's it's just a progression of songs that makes sense as they're put on that album. I think it's they did a really good job with it. In episode one, I touched on the fact that Everything Must Go really helped me at a certain stage in my life, in mm-hmm. when I was a 17-year-old and going through depression and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to sound overdramatic with this album, but th- this feels like the second Manix album to actually save me is too strong, but like help me get back t- to normality again. Because yeah. in 2010, in April 2010, my mum died. And I was in a really fucking awful place for months and months. 
And don't get me wrong, any Manix album that comes out is going to lift my mood, even if it's yeah. even if it is really dark and horrible. It, it just there's something about it that just lifted me up and took me out of where I was and helped me. I remember like posting on Facebook at the time, like this this new Manix album is really cheesy, but I've got to say, I fucking love it because yeah. that's where I was, and it's not it's not cheesy. It's unfair to say it's cheesy, but there there are positive messages in it. Yeah. Which I don't think there's ever been in a Manix album before. I mean, I think um, you're spot on. And um, I also have a very similar feeling about this album. Uh, for me, it's a, it's the title track. Um, because in 2010... Um, well, we're getting very deep here. I apologise, but in advance. But in 2010, I was in an abusive relationship, and um, I was getting to that point where I was just constantly thinking, "I don't know what to do. Should I stay? Um, should I leave him? Is it me? Am I awful? Do I deserve this?" And I was in a really shitty place. I was in a really bad place, and I heard the words. Um, to postcards from a young man and they spoke to me on a level that not many songs ever have. Yeah, it's the same to me but in a totally different context. Yeah, and it was... the It it, it stuck with me and it stayed with me until the following summer, the summer of 2011 when I did leave him. Um, And all I kept thinking... um, when Obviously, when you leave a situation like that, even though it's a good thing that you've left the abusive relationship, that's when all the... That's when your head goes to dark, dark places. That's when you start needing a lot of help. And I went and I had amazing support from an abuse charity. Um, But while I was going through all of that, I just kept coming back to this world will not impose its will. I will not give up and I will not give in. And that, on my 30th birthday... I can't remember if it was my exact... Exactly on my 30th birthday in 2012 or whether it was a couple of days either side of it, but my 30th birthday present to myself was those lyrics tattooed. Um, and I deliberately had them on uh, on my back, on my shoulder blade, because I wanted it behind me for what it represents. I wanted to show wow. that, you know, what I'd been through was behind me and I was moving forward. I was listening to those words and I was moving forwards. And I have cherry blossom. Um, you, oh, you've seen my tattoo. I'm sure you have. Um, yeah. But I have, cher- I have cherry blossom around... Uh, or behind the words and the reason for that is twofold partly because cherry blossom is very um a quintessentially manix thing uh they reference cherry blossom in lyrics and in their music videos so i wanted something manixy around the words and also because i had googled it and discovered that um cherry blossom in certain cultures means a strong woman or a, a, a female, oh, wow. it's fem, it's a feminine feminist symbol, and um, and I just thought, sod it, yeah, I'm a strong woman. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I mean, postcards from a young man, the actual title track that that song means so much to me, and I will I will fight anyone who slags off that song because yeah, those lyrics have really helped me. Okay, we will get into uh, the first song. It's not war. Brackets because as you know. We love brackets here. (laughs) Just the end of love. To feel for 
Okay, Emma, what's your take on it? So, I think it's a fabulous song. I think it's incredibly catchy. I think it's a brilliant album opener. When you when you hear um, the start of that song, it's just very... Euphoric is my flipping buzzword for this episode, but it is a very euphoric sound. It's very uplifting. The only thing I would say about this song is I have got to the point now where I've heard it too many times at gigs. And so now it doesn't have the same impact for me as it used to. Um, I, I'm surprised because I differ on this one. Oh. Well, to me, I, it's a good song. It's a good, solid song. But yeah. it's like putting together a formula for hit manic singles. I know where you're coming from. If you think, like, oh, we'll put the strings here, a soaring guitar solo here, a catchy chorus, and it's almost like putting all that formula together and then not coming up with something that's as good as most of them. I don't don't dislike the song, but I remember my first feeling of it when I heard it. I was a bit like... Oh, and also, we've got to remember in the context, this comes after Journal for Plague Lovers. Yes. And we've had that heavy, like... And I like that side of the Mannix, don't get me yeah. wrong. And, and perhaps at that time it was a bit too abrupt because this, mm-hmm. this album didn't, it was only a year later. And it was, I, I, there's something about it, even like 10 years later, I can't quite, I can't quite love. I know where you're coming from. I do know where you're coming from. I think when I first heard it, I was like, ooh. Oh, I like this. This is excellent. And I, I now do have very much like a, oh, this again. <laughs> yeah, there that... are a few songs I feel that way about. I can't remember if they played it the last time I saw them because that was with you in Cardiff. But like mm. sometimes when the chimes of the guitar start up, I'd be like, oh, because <laughs> they've got so many better singles. It's also, it does have, I know we have talked about um, we've defended the band against the whole, you know, don't try and sell out, don't try and be overpopulist and stuff. But it's the way James will do that. Whether he's being ironic or not, he will always get everyone clapping. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a little That's bit a like, point. no, you're not that band. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I forgot about that. He does do that, doesn't he? And a little bit like, nah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I, I will do shouty pointy. I don't want to clap. <laughs> Yeah, I totally forgot. Yes, he does do that. You know, it feels like so long since I've seen the band live now. It's been yes. so long since anyone saw anyone live, Mikey. <laughs> um, right, the video. It, it, some Manic's videos are really awful, aren't they? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I actually like this video. It stars Michael Sheen and Anna Frail getting it on in a war room yes. while, while the band watch on. There's no other way to describe it. That that's what happens. <laughs> I do you know something? I haven't watched one of your YouTube videos. 
my YouTube videos are spectacular. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, I, I, I haven't watched any of the sort of more recent, and I say more recent, this is 10 years old, but I yes. haven't watched any of the more recent videos in so long that it's only you saying that that's reminded me what the video yeah. is. When Anna Frail, I knew that Anna Frail was appearing in a Manx video, I was like, wow, because she was a teenage crush of mine. Yeah. She And, and it was quite She's a very, very pretty lady. She is. Um, I won't talk about a programme. No, I won't. <laughs> 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 she had a programme in, I don't know, it must have been 1998 or something, I don't know. I have no recollection of what the plot was. I think it was like a TV movie. The only thing I remember about that was she got naked. Oh. <laughs> That's it. I have no recollection of anything else. Now I'm sad you can't tell me what it was called. <laughs> uh, here's a question. Yeah. Teenage crushes, go. Oh, I had some very... I mean, my my biggest two... Um, I'm. There's no uh, way I can get away with being cool with these. Uh, Mark Owen from Take That and uh, Lee Brennan from 911. <laughs> I think it's probably quite uh, telling that a lot of the men that I was into were quite baby-faced, some would argue a bit girly. <laughs> what can you say? You know, but no, I, I I really struggle to think of many people that I was into back then. And I will let us get back to the actual subject. Earlier on, out of nowhere, and I haven't thought of this song in years, out of nowhere today, I was just wandering around the house singing The Day We Find Love by 911. So there you go. Well, I don't know it. Go, Go for it. Go. Oh, God. This isn't the first time, <laughs> won't be the last time. I surrender my soul, cause you're always keeping me. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. I'm not exaggerating. My, my dog was asleep and he just did a little growl. Like, what is that? Ah, <laughs> uh, Torres, I'm very offended. <laughs> I've probably cut out the Torres talk in, the, in our previous podcast. I've got a dog called Torres. He's not Spanish. He he, he came from t- Newport in Wales. Oh, I didn't know that. But we speak to him in a Spanish, Spanish accent sometimes, or a really bad Spanish accent sometimes, and he hates it. We go, hello, I am Torres. Would you like to go for a walk? And he just like looks at us like, stop talking to us like that. He, he ran up the stairs the other night when Mel was doing it. <laughs> See, we've got a Labradoodle called Rusty. And I like to answer him, like I speak for him in this very dumb voice <laughs> because he is my mother's favourite child, I swear. And um, my mum will say like, oh, do you want to go out for a walk? And I'll go, yes, please, actually, I really would like a room. <laughs> I can't stop myself. I really don't want to be that person. But she'll be like, oh, it looks a bit rainy out there. Oh no, yeah, I don't like the rain. It's just, I can't stop it. <laughs> if you cock your leg, then I, I would start to worry. <laughs> I have not yet gone that far. Oh God, just do it in the garden against the hedge. <laughs> really freak your mum out. I, I mean, it would freak more than just my mum out, let's be honest. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Oh... Nine one one celebrity crushes. Oh, oh yes. I my first celebrity crush was Philippa Forrester. <gasps> oh yeah. 
But when I first liked her, I was probably I, I, it was children's telly. And you know, you know, when you're young and you really like someone, and you go, "Hmm, mm, I like you, but I don't know why." Yeah. And then a few years later, she appeared in Robot Wars, dressed in leather. And it suddenly all makes thought, sense. Oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sophia Lis Baxter. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I always thought she looked a bit like an alien, but she is very pretty. She's a very pretty alien. <laughs> A pretty alien. Yeah, yeah, but that's genuinely, that's a compliment. She doesn't look earth of this earth. If you're listening, Sophie, <laughs> She is a beautiful woman, and a few years ago I met her a couple of times on a tour and had photos with her. Aww. No, she is she, I, she is a very, very attractive lady. I just always, when, when I was younger, I was always like, oh my gosh, she looks like a beautiful alien. I met her a couple of times, and it's like, oh my God, you were as beautiful in the in real life as you are in the pictures. I didn't say this to her. I actually, I was just like, can, can I have your autograph and have a photo, please? Thanks, bye. <laughs> I I met um, Gary Barlow in the bullring in Birmingham. <laughs> as a sentence. I it met was... Gary Barlow in the bullring. <laughs> and, um, no, I, I, ha- I have to explain that when I was a, a young child... It was always Mark first, Gary second, and um, and I. I... What, what in your threesome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the order. Um, I was with my friend, and she went, um, "Oh, Gary Barlow's over there," and I was like, oh, and he wasn't. She was like taking the piss, and she went, "Wouldn't it be funny though? Because like you know, take that. We, we had gone to Birmingham to see Take That." And it was their first, like, when, you, when they first got back Thanks together. That. I, I, thought, I thought he was just in Summerfield or something. <laughs> it was their first reunion. And, like, we were we were just in the bullring. We went we went to Selfridges to look at stuff we couldn't afford. And, um, and she went, isn't it amazing just to think, like, they could be around. Like, they could walk in at any time. And I went, yeah, like Gary Barlow just has. And she went, yeah, okay, I know it's funny when I did it to you. And I went, no, he literally has. And she was like, yeah, I, it's really not funny. And I was like, he's literally over there. And she looked over her shoulder and went, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I remember, like, because I've not met that many people that I've had, like, crushes on celebrity-wise. It's been a few. But I remember we... David was Tennant. Like, Sorry? David Tennant. Yes, I have met David Tennant. I was the first person to greet him when he arrived on set. Um, but yeah, on your knees. sorry. On your knees. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting him to walk through the door. Actually, I was just nonchalantly leaning in the door frame, and he walked past, and I went, "Oh hi, hi." <laughs> and anyway, and I said, "Oh, you know, we should leave him. We should leave him alone." And my friend was like, "No, we have to go and speak to him. Come on, we have to go and speak to him." And we did. And I will say, he was very nice. Um, he was he was a bit cheesy because we told him we were going to see take that that night at uh, Birmingham NEC and we were very excited and he went well we'll make it extra special just for you and, <laughs> oh, God. and I was like oh, God. thank you Gary it's really nice um, but yeah that was that was a very strange moment in my life <laughs> anyway let's go back to it's not war Oh, yeah! After a while there, I'd forgotten what we were talking about. Do you remember that this song had a similarity to a very cheesy pop song? And it's not Take That. 
or 911? Um, well, then my frame of reference is gone. Um, you will probably refresh my memory when you say it. Off the top of my head, no. Steps. Oh! Someone did a mashup of Manix It's Not War and Steps Stomp. Yeah. And the string section is so alike. It is so similar. Because my brain, when you said steps, went, oh, it does sound a bit like a deeper shade of blue. (laughs) (laughs) Tragedy. (laughs) I think I need to lie down. (laughs) It's not war. It's It's a tragedy. It's the memory of Gary Barlow. (laughs) Which, but the thing is, I think the steps string section is, is a sample from an old, like, 70s song or something. Yeah. So, but it's just a weird weird companion piece that someone mashed it up on YouTube years and years ago and it fitted it fitted perfectly anyway enough about 911 Gary Barlow steps you can never have enough about 911 <laughs> let's talk about the title track We've touched on it a bit before, so yeah. I'll let you lead. I just think from the literal opening seconds, this is just so epic. It's got such a gorgeous, epic sound. I think it sounds very classic Mannix. I think it's one of those songs that you hear and you instantly go, that's a Mannix song. <clears throat> and it's it's one of those songs that when they play live, and they don't do it as often as they, they should. Don't. And I actually, when I when they've done it live, I would say it doesn't live up to what it sounds like on record. Quite, but what I was going to say for for me personally, when they play it live and you get to shout back those lyrics that I've got yeah. on me, I'm just like, yes. It always feels I I am not religious in the slightest, but that always feels like a slightly religious experience. There's nothing I can fault about the song. Nothing no, like the, the the way the strings come in. It's got a, yeah. it's like an anthemic waltz. Mm, that's to that's me, a very good way of putting well, it. That's why it's got that kind of you know it's got that kind of design for life. Indian summer, yeah, a flow to it. Sometimes the manics talk of in 
as we were talking about with First Republic earlier, in like really vivid, over the top ways or like obscure references. Or but this is just such a heartbreakingly simple song. Yeah, it is so. I think it's the most honest Nikki's ever been in a lyric. There's something so genuinely beautiful about the way James sings you have to fight against it every day and then there's like a waterfall of strings before the chorus kicks in that just every time I hear it I'm like ah yes I want to bite this song it's pretty much as perfect as you can get in a song Mm. like the, the lyrics I don't believe the absolutes anymore I'm quite prepared, if you think about early Mannix and then this lyric, I'm quite prepared to admit I was wrong. This life, it sucks your principles away. You have to fight against it every single day. Yeah. So sad and lonely and so derelict as the optimism that we once shared. I mean, there are certain songs that just immediately, they're like smacking you around the head and going... Mm. I'm talking to you, pay yeah. pay attention. And that's that's what this song does. Like, we were talking about where we were at our lives when this album came out. And we relate to this on every level, but in different ways. Mm. It just, it just so powerful. Yeah, it just connects with where you are at the time. But it's like a dark nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I... I will not give up and I will not give in. I I just love that. Yeah. It escapes from their history, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you talk about, like, everything must go and they say, like, we escape from our history, but they're not. That song is, no. is literally wrapped up in everything that they are at that time. This is saying, oh, I was wrong. I, the things, life sucks your principles away. So the... Although all that passion and beliefs I had mm. then, and it's such simple language, but it's so beautifully done. And yeah. anyone who says Nicky Wire isn't a good songwriter can go walk the plank yeah. because he he has his clumsy moments. He does, of course, he does. But to write a song like that, I just it's it's just so one of the things I wrote and you know I like to make notes um one of the things I wrote when I was writing about this album was um this album has a mature quality to it it's no longer the sound of an angry young band it's an album by a middle-aged band who are looking inwardly at themselves and their own lives as well as outwardly at the world and that's no bad thing it would feel dishonest to try to recapture the sound of generation terrorists or the lyrical rawness of the holy bible in each new album because that would be denying the changes that bands and people go through as they progress through their lives and their careers that's not to say there isn't still a sense of being pissed off and having a lot to say. Postcards just feels like it comes from a very honest place. And I think that, I think I had the title track in mind when I wrote that. I think that's absolutely spot on because, you know, we all have our personal opinions about music and like there's a lot of fans who really like the early stuff. There's less fans that like the later stuff. But to me, I love aspects of it all because... Yeah. Yeah. I don't want them, to, as they were 40 when this album came out, they can't be doing the Holy Bible. Mm. They just can't, because that's yeah. not how life works. I'm not the same person at 40 now that I was when I was 30. It's going to be a different thing. 
And I think that's to be celebrated. I do think the Manics do try to explore other things. Yes, they've got their It's Not War kind of anthems and yeah. like, let's put this out as a single because that'll sell more than that song. But they're a major label band, I suppose, and that will happen. But it goes back to the like one last shot of communication. In a sense, I think Nikki was right. Because It's Not War charted at 28, the singles after that didn't chart. Yeah, yeah. And since then, the Manic singles, their albums chart, like top three, top five, but since then, their singles haven't charted. So in a sense, I think Nikki was right. He knew, yeah. he knew where, yeah. the, where guitar music was at that time. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. In a way, yeah, it did. And, you know, Rewind the Film, Futurology, they all charted, but they didn't have that cut through. Mm. They had, critics loved it, most fans loved them, but they didn't have that that cut through to pub, the public at large, did they, really, I would say. And you've got to remember, album, album, sales, album sales aren't what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago as to what they are now. They're much less, yeah. aren't they? No, and the music scene has changed enough that when... This is what I get cross about when people say, oh, no, you know, they shouldn't be trying to... They're not. They've, they, they make music... When the Manics do try this, like, right, we're going to write something that's going to be commercial, we're going to, you know, try and get a, a bigger audience to listen to, they don't not stay true to themselves and I really respect that because they might put out yes this is very anthemic it's very classic it's very let's put the string section and the guitar solo and but it's still manic it doesn't you know that if they started rapping in Korean I would be like okay <laughs> why but you know they don't do that they don't try and jump onto bandwagons I don't believe anyway I've never sort of listened to something and gone oh I can hear that you just tried to copy what so and so has done Whatever misstep the Manics take, and they do take missteps, mm. I genuinely believe, despite their success, it it comes from a good place. Uh, can we just basically, before we get the ratings at the end of the, sh- the, the episode, just basically yeah. say this is a 5 out of 5? Five. 5 out of 5. I wrote four out, 4.5 out of 5, and no. then I looked at it, and I scribbled it, and it's a 5. Okay, next up, some kind of nothingness. It is a du- duet with Echo and the Bunnyman singer Ian McCulloch. It charted, here we go, literally what we're talking about, it charted at number 44, which wow. meant it was the first Manic single not to make the top 40 on a me- since they've been on a major label. That's really sad. There's, there's a sadness to that. There is a lovely, a beautiful melancholy to this song. And I think it's an incredibly bold, stylistic choice to have a gospel choir because you would never necessarily associate that with the Manics. Particularly early Manics, obviously. But they did it, and somehow it works. I'm not far off you. I've got a little note here. 
vivid imagery made brighter by a gospel choir. It's not a safe song for the Manics for me. No. They are, this is what I think, like I never understood the criticism of this album. They're reaching for something different and special. One of the things I like musically about this song is that it doesn't, it doesn't wait for you to get comfortable. It just starts. There's not really an intro. It's just, boom, the sky's falling in on you. (laughs) And there's something about that. There's something about the immediacy of that that makes me go, oh, oh, we're into the next song, are we? Okay. All right. It started. And it just it just trundles and so, that sounds like an insult it sounds like i'm being like oh it just trundles along but it just carries you it carries you and you feel i feel when i listen to that song secure in it yeah it tr- i would say it trundles and trundles and then it reaches at the end and just goes to another level <laughs> laid yourself out under the stars some peace at last so don't be sad a fitting end to your end but baby Death's your only friend. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that to me just, I don't need to hear music to that and I'd read that and go, wow, yet alone yeah. the music going to it. And I tell you something, from um, the perspective of someone who sings in a choir, when you listen to that chorus over the end and it's got a singer who sings above the rest of the chorus and she has this like solo line that echoes the chorus and it is so stunning and I want to find that woman (laughs) and just be like hello teach me to sing like that please because it's amazing there's something so pure about this this singled out voice that rises above all the rest of them and I absolutely adore that I've marked it a fair bit lower than Postcards from a Young Man. I know we're not doing scores yet, but I, I wouldn't. It's not a song that I would say yes. It's a five out of five, purely because I can. I can. I have to save that. I have to save the five out of five for the ones that really, really get me. This is one of those songs that does really get, really get me. Mm. It, it, yeah. yeah. I just. How can a band? This is this is perversity. Who a year before released. Journal for Plague Lovers and like peeled apples and that she bathed bathed herself in bleach. Go from that to this absolute... In my mind, when this this album was released, I can't quite remember when Some Kind of Nothingness was released as a single, but in my mind, when I heard this for the first time in the album, I thought, because I had obviously false expectations of how big the Manics were then, I thought, that's Christmas number one. That is like a massive brooding sad but positive christmas number one mm. that's what i thought and it, yeah. I, it didn't even flip and chart no and i find that really upsetting because it's such it's it's just such a lovely luscious piece of music above you know and when you take the lyrics into consideration as well i just think come on why hasn't that gone anywhere
this this is the kind of song that should per, you know we're talking about mass communication that should perfectly connect with the mainstream to me it's it's on a level with as as postcards the title track is on a level with a design for life it is yeah. in terms of songwriting in terms of musicianship in terms of how epic and flowing it is i, I don't get it no people have no taste <laughs> <laughs> Well, hang on, says the 911 fan. How very dare you. I would just like to point out that Body Shaking is a classic pop song. Right, okay, let's go to the next song, because I think we like that one. Mm-hmm. The Descent, wait for it, brackets, <laughs> pages one and two. I hear a, I hear a, a big butt, and I cannot well, lie. <laughs> and there's there's not really a butt. Um, I I think I think it's got a really nice melancholy, and I know nice melancholy is a strange juxtaposition of words, but it it's it's a comfortable melancholy. There's something very very navel gazy about it, but oddly comforting, and it's strangely uplifting because it's got these quite raw and honest lyrics I think but at the same time the strings in the chorus help you feel almost soothed I've got the same thing oh there you go great minds and I have said one of my favourite lyrics um, is I've lost my last defence the pages that you left I think considering this album came after you know we'd actually had these words that everybody been waiting to hear for years and years and years and years I felt like when I heard that lyric I did go oh that hit on paper the chorus of descent sense and defense mm. it doesn't look good yes if you give it the context of, of the Richie lyrics and general for plague lovers and all that that adds yeah. to it but the strings make it soar the strings make it float we've talked about it before we'll talk about it again the difference in what the lyrics are saying and then the music goes well actually exactly exactly I always feel like when I hear that line because the first time I did hear that line it was like a bit of a gut punch like oh crap that's that's very honest that's that feels really raw and yet then there's this and it's like it's like here's the injury now we're gonna just bathe it (laughs) the strings actually like an ascent Page brackets, pages three and four. <laughs> <laughs> if they if they don't release an album now, a song now called An Ascent, <laughs> pages, pages three and four. I love the verses as well. Yeah. I just, even though I wouldn't say musically, 
even lyrically, generally, it's 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 far from any of the Manic's strongest songs. But there's mm. something about it that just goes. It just puts me in a a better mood. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, next up. Avenue to me sounds like it's a Sunday night TV program theme tune. It's just got that very gentle gentleness. It's just there's something about it. Gentle gentleness. Hi, I'm an author. It's um, it's yeah. It, there's just something very comforting about it. But the one thing I will say is I cannot listen to this. Song I know it, right? Say it <clears throat> without hearing. Baby, yeah. it ain't over till it's over. In the preparation for this this podcast, I tried to play them simultaneously, oh, and really? and they are alike. There's a slight difference, but it it's got to be a nod to it. song is pure summer it it makes me feel really good amongst the crowd the disconnect is sweeter a record shop and some clarity don't need a wilderness to feel sol- solitary i love the verses honestly the verses yeah. are really good and then it fucking sweeps into that chorus and you go, whoa. <laughs> I do love the, so take me back. And then there's that little yeah. gap, so take me back. I, yeah, that I do. Part of me, I think, understands why some Manic fans wouldn't like this song. I'm not going to lie. I bumped its score up because the more I started thinking about it, the more I was like, no, I do like this song. <laughs> um, but originally I was going to give it quite a low score just because it has got that, I don't know why. It just there's something about it that I'm like, yeah, this is a drama about a vet. Vet. Um, <laughs> a vet. Yeah. It just there's just a strangely all creatures great and small theme tune. I mean, no, that's it doesn't sound like it. But you know what I mean. Sunday night TV. This is very gentle. Don't worry. You don't have to think too hard. Do you know what I'm going to imagine now? Next time I hear Hazelton Avenue. 
a vet sticking his hand up a cow. <laughs> My mum's always wanted to do that, you know. What? Oh, what? What? That what? Genuinely, she's always wanted to help birth a calf and stick her hand up a cow's bum. Probably it's more the former. Yeah. I don't. I don't think she probably said it in that way. Oh, no, she genuinely wants to stick her hand up a cow. <laughs> it's just a weird thing that she has. Right. <laughs> we covered Hazelton Avenue. It's. Uh, I love it. It is so opposite of to what people think of the Manics are. And yes, that is true. that is why I love it. And I think a lot of this album is. Okay, next up. Auto intoxication. My favourite thing about this song is the way it slows right down in the chorus because it feels like they've had this choppy, choppy verse and then it almost has a slightly dreamy quality in the chorus when he's like, welcome to the new slave trade. It just sort of pulls it all back and then kicks it back off again. It sounds like there's an element of prog rock in there. Because yeah, yeah. of, of the changing of the tempos mm. and like from quiet, quiet, dreamy and then the fucking chorus. Yeah. Boom. It's got James shouting and crashing guitars. The lyric that gets me most and, and I think this sums up where another lyric that sums up where I was at the time. Mm. I am so lucky I think that I survived. Yeah. And that's you know, not to over dramatize it, I did feel like during 2010, I I was in a really bad place. I was drinking yeah. lots. I was, I was, lots of other things were going on in my life. There's James shouting and bellowing. I think that I survived. Mm. And even you know, sometimes it's a really simple lyric. I go, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if we talk about Nikki's lyrics again, the living left to die while ghosts are brought to life. I mean, I've always really liked the um, the sort of fatalistic, the disaster in, in, in coming, it's already arrived. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, I've just always really, I know it sounds quite a negative line to really like, but I just like the fact that they're like, well, shit's already happened. <laughs> yeah, the disaster isn't coming, it's already arrived. I'm so lucky, I think, that I survived. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I felt. It, yeah. it should be mentioned that this does feature ex Velvet Underground member John Cale. Apart from Ian McCulloch, the other two guest cameos, they're not really, they don't stand out because they're just, it's it's just a, it's almost like we're a fan of you. Yeah. C- can you come in and do, do a bit on our song? And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. They're in the position where they can do that. Right, anything else to add? Um, I think we've covered it. Next up, 
Golden Platitudes. It's just, I personally feel like this is the midway slump. Like they've had this lovely euphoric, ta-da, album. And then it's like, I just, for me, personally, after the previous tracks, this one just feels very meh. In its defence, I really like the fact that they use the, you know, they still have the gospel choir on it. I like the way it builds with the, in the background that is really nice and I, I i do actually really like the line i fell back in love with love it's a political ballad yeah. it, as far as i understand it and everything that's been said about it it's about the demise of new labor the liberal left destroyed every bit of our youth and the chorus keeps reaching and reaching and there's a tension in the chorus because it keeps going and keeps going and it's like it's like suspended in the air and it's stretching yeah. out and stretching out almost like to like breaking point. And it gets to one of my favourite lines. Why colonise the moon when every different kind of desperation exists? That is a very good line. I think one of my small issues with this is I have a strange thing where I don't want you to say a word from the title over and over and over and over unless it's in the chorus. I don't know why, I just do. Yeah, it's just the platitudes of this, the platitudes of that. And I'm just like, must you? (laughs) Think of another way of saying it, please. It's very pretty. I'm not anti it completely, you know, I can't, it's not like I'm going to go, oh my God, that's so terrible, I have to skip it. I don't skip any songs on this album. I think it's a, it's an album that works from start to finish. I've said that before and I will maintain that viewpoint. I just, for me, it's, this is a bit of a slump from what's come before. I view it as a, a change in tempo, which hmm. is probably needed. But then I think the the album does ebb and flow anyway. This is a song where they they literally do la-la-la-las. Yes. The, the, the Manics doing la-las at the end of the song.
it's a nice song to sing along to. There is there is something very nice about. But see, listen, listen to the word I keep using. Nice. I know there are going to be fans who are like, "That's my favorite song on the album." You're dead to me. They played this um, the the Holy Bible show. Tories had just got in. Yeah. Uh, in 2015 and like the James dedicated the song to everyone who along the lines of everyone who's depressed about the result it worked and it was like really really good line I think that's part of what made me appreciate it more in a sense because I felt that I felt that oh the Tories the Tories have got in again oh god yeah and all that kind of stuff and I kind of even though it's a song about new labour but let's not analyse that no. <laughs> I can't remember if the gig I went to on the Holy Bible um, anniversary tour, whether they played it or not, but um, you did. You went to the Roundhouse, didn't you? Like me? Yeah. I oh, I'm yeah. pretty pretty sure they didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, I I don't remember it. So, but I just yeah, I had. It's not. I'm not going to say I I hate it. For me, it's just an average middle of album song. Sorry. Next song, <laughs> I think I found it. And I think I love it. This one, let's just point out first and foremost, this one was written by James. Yes. Um, but on first few lessons for me, I was put off by just how twee it is. Mm. It's so twee. And I thought, what has he found? Because to me, it sounded like he'd, he'd found God. <laughs> Have Manic turned into Christian rock. What is going on here? Out of all the songs on the album, this was the one initially I did struggle with. Yeah. I I think I did purely because I didn't for the same reason I didn't really know what he was saying like what have you found and and what do you love <laughs> um, because yeah but I really yeah he's found it and he loves it um, but I do I it's it's got a really nice guitar-y sound and it is an uptick in tempo from the previous song and I think that works I think when you've had a song that is that slower tempo and and that you know that sort of like you said building chorus with a gospel choir and all of that to to suddenly go up again in in tempo with with the guitars coming in i i do like it and i really love the lyric live with me through the threads of our lives i think that's really lovely yeah it's a weird paradox to me because I think at heart this is a B side. At the same time, it fits in with the album. Yeah, it does. It goes with the flow. It's mercifully short. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> it goes, but it does. It goes with the flow, and we've we discussed it. We I don't really skip a song on this yeah. album. No, I don't. 
there's some you know you can have tracks on an album do you think that's a b-side i don't want to listen to that i'm skipping that or you do your own playlist on spotify or whatever and take yeah take, some of the ones you don't want take you don't the, take what you think should be a b-side and put the b-sides that you think should have been the album onto the album yeah but i think this works on the album yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't think it's particularly strong. I don't think it's. It's quite Christian stroke dad rock. The most Christian stroke dad rock the Manics have ever sounded, and I hope they don't yeah. make a make a habit of it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there is something quite nice about it, mm. and they go. I've used the word nice. That's Aww. the first. That's the first time I've used the word nice. So it, it's it's good. It took me a while to get to. It's because. I don't want the, the Manics to sound like a Christian rock band. And I do agree with you very much there. Here we go for the epic. Mm-hmm. A billion balconies facing the sun. We finally found our way I particularly like the lyrics to this. I like um, the imagery that it conjures up and the a billion faces turned to their screens. Just, yes, yes. I, I, it just feels like a very classic Nicky swipe at, you know, whether he's talking about modern life or whether, what, whatever he's got a bee in his bonnet about, it just feels very classic. Nicky's going to have a little rant now. When Nicky writes about technology sometimes, he does come across like a granddad in his Piper's slippers. He kind of does. He does, but this song, he doesn't. Because mm. if you think about, like, uh, Stowe Hill, he talks about sad face booking, and it's a bit like, oh, yeah. oh that's a bit, oh, no. This, he nails it. He, yeah. You know, he actually... We found expression for our hate without any kind of consequence. Who needs patience anymore when all our pleasures virtual? Oh, now I'm. This is where um, you know my former gig buddy, um, and we. She knows that when we go and see the Manics, that's when I, I'm, I'm. The rest of the time, I have a very strange crush. On James Dean Bradfield, in that I don't have a crush on James Dean Bradfield until I go to see the Manics live, and then I do. <laughs> and um, there's just she used. To, I remember her saying to me, "What are you going to do if he actually goes pleasure, pleasure, <laughs> pleasures virtual, you know, live?" And I was like, "Probably combust." There's something about that that yeah, I like that. Another line that I love. This is one of my favourite lyrics that Nicky's ever done. We finally found a way to consume boredom every day. It feels very, I know I've said it, but it does feel like very classic Nikki going, do you know what? (laughs) I've got some stuff to say about all this. And just the way he puts it out there and says, like, no, you know, we're all just glued to our screens. What are we doing? I just, it makes me go, oh, yeah. And I'm somebody who literally has to be, 
departed physically from her phone, mm. you know, because I'm just constantly, oh, what's going on on Twitter? Oh, you know, I'm I'm really terrible. I'm a terrible example of the modern technology-obsessed world. But I just, I love that song because it's, I, maybe it's because I'm like that that I go, actually, yes. If you think about this song, this, this song was released in 2010, and there's a line in it, a billion lies becoming the truth. Mm. So before the fake news... I was just going to say, before fake news... Well, and all that, and, you know, it's become, I think it's become more pertinent and truthful. Yeah. Because it's true, isn't it? That's what the, the internet has become. And here's the thing. This, this album has so much energy to it. So much energy to it. I don't know why people say it's laboured or slow. No, I don't think. I don't. Really. I think it flows all the way through, and it's got a really good energy to it. But James in this song, like he's shredded. Yeah, yeah. It, I, 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 I've literally written James's angry vocals. <laughs> yeah, angry vocals, and it's not a heavy song, but it still kicks ass. It's not yeah. like lo- loads of guitars piled on each other. No. But it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. No. And the, the solo he does. I've got a question for yeah. you. What's eternity? Sorry? What's, in James's words, eternity? Eternity is a little bit like an eternity, but not quite. Maternity without the M. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why would you do that? There are so many words you could have chosen that James has an odd pronunciation of, but I'm pleased you went with that one. <laughs> as wide as eternity tonight. It's quite hard to sing eternity. Wide as eternity. Um, no, it's not. I'm going to contradict myself now because I was just thinking of eternal flame and they definitely say eternal flame. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what my favourite um, soul London all-female group is from the 90s? Eternal. <laughs> Jeez, that was so laboured. Just a tad, but let's go with it. Anyway, my point is, I love this song. Absolutely yeah. love it. And another, this is another guest cameo that, unless you were told, you just wouldn't know. Duff, uh-huh. Duff McKagan, McKagan, ex Guns N' Roses bassist. He's he plays in the song. But I'm just going to call him Duff Muck at Eternity. (laughs) That will do. Anyway, we love that song. 
Like this should be the end of the album. You're so you're you're so wrong, but carry on. Probably sounds slightly controversial to say that, but I genuinely think this song just sounds like an album closer. Um, I really like the line "We're so postmodern, we're so post everything." Yeah, me too. That is a fabulous lyric. Um, And yeah, I like this song. I don't love it. The guitar to me sounds a bit like the jam. Mm. Um. And the, the, what was really strange about this song, the really strange plinky plonky thing in the verse. Yeah. Like, dong, 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 dong. Yeah. It's like, that's, I'm not quite sure about that bit. But I love the way it goes into the chorus. Like, mm-hmm. and the sun will always keep shine, keep rising, always deflecting, yeah. always disguising. That it could, like a sudden push towards the chorus. I was listening to it not long ago, actually. And I... In- I found myself going, did we ever really exist? Run, run, roll me a run. And I just went into that. And I don't know why. There's a great Western vibe. I I like the... Yeah, Yeah, I like that, yeah. And and he's got a lot of good solos. Um, In terms of the lyrics, though, I'm I'm not quite clear on what it's saying. I think it's something along along the lines of the working classes being sold out. Well, there's that whole pointless jobs just lead to pointless lives. Breaking up our bones, breaking up our minds. Mm. So that's like a working, a work to your drop kind of vibe, isn't it? That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of it. But I'm not, I still don't understand what... It's in relation to the entertainment side. Is is he saying the entertainment side is an important or important for the working classes? Like a lot of this album, though, it's it's got a good energy and a sense of fun. Yeah. And it's it that's what lifts this song more for me than maybe what it's trying to say because I can't quite work out what it's trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. The future has been here for, for, Channel 4, for real, ever. I like the trumpet. All hail the return of Sean on trumpet. I mean, I feel like every album needs a Sean trumpet solo. I just, at some point, you just need a trumpet. Um, (laughs) And I do like the fact that the choir gets another outing. Yep. I don't actually dislike Nikki's vocals. 
I'm going to put it out here. I think this is the best Nicky sung Manic song. Yeah, I would probably agree with you, actually. I'm, try- I'm uh, certainly up there. However, I find the chorus a bit dirgy. I think it's more dirgy because of his vocals. You have got the cor- the, the choir in the background trying to jazz it up a bit and the doom do 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 you know. I think the music does lift it up enough. Uh, but to me it's like it's a really fucking mad manic song. It's mm. like jazzy, it's scar, there's a gospel yeah. choir going on. You know, I was talking about a, a song earlier about having positive messages. This is, I think, lyrically the, their most positive song mm. that I can think of. Wipe those tears away. Keep as still as you can. Hold your breath and dig deep and stop those trembling hands. Yeah. And obviously the the Richie lyric, make yourself pretty just for one yeah, last time. Right. No one ever will ever know you ever left your prime. When you let some love break through the light... When you let someone come into your life. Mm. Bear in mind, this, is, this isn't this is led by a gospel choir. And like yeah. it's really uplifting. And that's why I think that that's another reason this album is doing something different to, to what yeah. they've done before. It's one of the reasons that I can't latch on to this song in a big way. Because it feels like it's trying to do too many different things and not quite getting any of them as right as it could if it didn't try to do so many things because like you said there's so many different musical styles in it they've got this gospel choir they've got the trumpet they've got all of these different things they've got these big lyrics that are quite unusual like you said for for a manic song and I just feel like yeah okay throw it all in the mix but there's just I kind of wish it would just I don't know. I don't know what I wish they'd done differently with it. Maybe if it settled more into more of one thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it needed to find its niche a little bit more. And for me, it just feels a little bit confused. I like the fact that it's a bit confused and a bit different. If they made a habit of of, of doing songs that are a bit all over the place and different musical styles all the time, I'd probably not. But I think because it's... It's a very unique song in their back catalogue. Yeah. I think that's why I like it. It's it's mm. I mean the first time I listened to it, my face was probably mortified. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Nikki singing for a start. What is this? What's going on? But I I like the positive messages. Mm. And I like the fact that they're willing to say you know, more than any album they've done before. No, actually, we don't want to be that Holy Bible band all the time that people keep referring to. Yes, it's their classic, you know, if you're talking about it, but they don't want to live on that and they want to do yeah. something different. For me, lyrically, I like it more than I like it musically, which is an odd... I mean, well, no, for any other band, it would probably be quite odd. For, for the Manics, I would say there's probably... You know, there probably are plenty of songs where people go, I would have done the tune a bit differently, but I really love the words because the Manics have always been a band for whom lyrics are important. But for me, I can take a lot more out of the lyrics than I can the tune. And I and I do think it's a good... I like 
it when Nicky sings, so it's nothing to do with the fact that it's his song. I just, there's just something a bit... Bit horsey. Yeah, it needs to have a sugar lump. (laughs) (laughs) Right, last song. Emma? Yes? Please don't be evil. I find that so hilarious. I can't quite take it seriously. Just, just there is something blooming lovely and slightly hilarious about James Dean Bradfield just going, I don't be evil! <laughs> personal message alert tone from me now, isn't it? <laughs> um yes i i really love the line fill the world with your own importance it feels yeah. very early manix and yeah and he's touching on the internet again mm. in a good way not in a in, yeah. in a bad way yeah don't be evil is a phrase a phase used by google as part of their corporate code of conduct oh that's so, not know. Don't be evil, just be corporate, fool the world with your own importance. I really like this. Th- these next three words. Portray your tedium. Yeah. For the world to see. Your own movie star and it's for free. And another line I like. Pretend technology made us equal. If anything, you could argue that technology has shown up how unequal we are. Because we're yeah. using our phones to capture it. We've all taken selfies, we've all taken pictures of things and put them on the internet, on Instagram or Twitter or something. But when you see a video of someone doing that, you think, that looks ridiculous. (laughs) That's what I look like, taking a selfie or like, you know. But I mean, some people take selfies in the weirdest situation in in, in front of like a riot going on behind them or, you know. Here's me taking a fish pout selfie at Auschwitz yes yeah do you know what I can't stand at gigs like I'll take some photos at gigs and I'll take some some occasional video or something I think most of us do that yeah yeah. but what I can't stand is when people like put their back to the stage and either film themselves or take a photo of themselves with the band or artist in the background yeah that that's no don't do that don't do that don't be evil Whilst I'm somebody who has filmed at gigs lots of times and I take photos at gigs, don't just watch the whole thing through your screen. And I've seen so many people at gigs who like literally seem to just film every song. And, and I'm like, you're watching this through your screen. You could go home and watch that on YouTube. 
or the people who put who are literally filming it on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. Yeah. That you know, and you, you can see the hearts go up. You know that people are watching it. It's like, why are you doing this? You might as well just be at home with the rest of them, mm, watching someone yeah. else film it. It's bizarre. But I think this is a flipping awesome way to end the album. Yeah, it is a it is a really good song. I just, for me, I I'm still gonna say I would flip it round and have um. Oh my god, what was I saying? All we make is entertainment as the last song. Because for me, it sound that sounds more like an album closer. But I do really like this song. I like you as a person, and I respect <laughs> you. But you are wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> Please go and stand in the corner and accept your wrongness, Emma. Mm-hmm. Don't be evil, <laughs> and claim otherwise that this is not the best album closer for this album. Can we all agree? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Browbeaten. I'm browbeaten. Right. We've covered the album track by track, so let's do our scores. Okay. They're out of five, right? They're out of five, and we we are allowed the the point five. It's not war. I give it three out of five. I went with 3.5. Postcards from a young man, 5. 5. Some kind of nothingness. I've gone with a 4. 5. Ooh. The Descent, brackets. <laughs> <laughs> the Ascent, pages 3 and 4. I've gone with a 3.5. I've gone with a 4. Hazelton Avenue. Three. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, I don't think my speakers are working. What? What was that? It was a three. Four. <laughs> it's the, it's the correct answer. Uh, auto intoxication. I've gone with a three. Part of me wishes I'd gone with a three point five. So feel free to change it. I'm sorry. I'm. The internet connection is terrible. What was? <laughs> what was that? I'm quite harsh, aren't I? I think I've discovered this about myself. Let's let's up it. Let's put a three point five. Four for me. Okay. I, oh god, I dread to think this one. Golden platitudes. Well, I refer to it as being average, which to my mind means half, so two and a half. I think I found it. Three. Yeah, three for me. Oh golden platitudes four for me. Um a billion balconies. <laughs> was that a number or was that just a noise? <laughs> Four. Oh, it was a number. Um, well, I'm obviously sick in the head. I mean, I am, but five. Ooh. Absolutely love it. All we make is entertainment. Three. Three point five for me. The future. Oh, here you go. Oh, God, I'm trying to ask. The future has been here forever. I'm afraid I put it as a 2.5. It's a four for me. Uh, Don't be evil. Three and a half. It's been nice knowing you, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. 
Have you calculated? No, I haven't. Um, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned calculator way. It's just the kind of girl I am. Are you wombling? I'm wombling. Are you wombling right now? I'm wombling right now. Are you wombling free? I'm wombling free. I'm proper free. Oh, that is a lower score than I thought. Mine's 81.6. Mine's 67. I do you know something? I think I've been really mean, but I am quite harsh because I was once told if you give top marks too easily, where do people go? So sixty-six point seven, and well, I've got calculators and eighty-one point six. Uh, seventy-four percent. Oh mate, I'm appalled. <laughs> I have rather brought the average down. I'm sorry. I mean. You're entitled to your opinion. (laughs) (laughs) It's clear that I love it. I think it's an ambitious album. I think they try to do new things and it works. Even with Nicky singing. (laughs) I think it's well produced. I think James's voice is on form. I think his guitar works on form. I think Nicky's lyrics are amongst the best he's ever done. Sean's playing the trumpet. Any amount of Sean playing the trumpet is fine by me. Do you have any last thoughts? Before we get loads of mail from people saying, please suck Emma. That, if you had just said, mark it out of 10, I would have easily given it a solid 8. I'm harsh because I love them. We've got feedback by email, Twitter and Facebook. We'll go to email first. Uh, What have you got, Emma? Stunned Fox says... Postcards from a young man always surprised me when I first got into the band that this seemed to be the unpopular one for many Manix fans. I suppose I get it to some extent. It's got a sheen to it that some would find off-putting, though I personally think the strings and choirs approach is mostly quite effective. And there are definitely a few songs on the album that don't quite make their mark, not necessarily because they're bad, just inessential. I personally find the first half a little underwhelming, with the major exception of the brilliant Some Kind of Nothingness. Songs like It's Not War, Just the End of Love feel a little too straightforward or simple for me to really connect meaningfully with. For me, the second, the strength of the record is its second half. Ah, I'm about to be so slated. Golden Platitudes is the best centrepiece for a Manic's album (laughs) since Small Black Flowers That Grow in the Sky. Look, I'm sorry. And the songs from then on have a sincerity, conviction and anger to them that I think makes the album work as a whole and definitely help it to feel authentically and idiosyncratically Manic Street Preachers, flaws and all. It's no masterpiece, and if I were to rank the band's albums, it would probably be somewhere in the lower half, but it has a number of really enjoyable tunes and some truly standout songs, and I still do find it odd that it comes in for as much fan criticism as it does. Uh, it is a masterpiece. I think it's it's a bit of a masterpiece, to be honest. <laughs> no, you've, you've given your score now. <laughs> you, you can't go back. Um, I've got one from Phil Baker. When this album was released, I had spent my 20s playing in bands and gigging around London, and I was able to do so by holding down a steady job delivering X-ray records and photographic equipment. Finally, the credit crunch had put an end to that, and I defeatedly made my way to the employment agency to the sound of Sean Moore's rat-a-tat drumming. 
The fact that I was able to complete a scheduled tour with the band I was in and carry on rehearsing and doing shows for eight more months was largely due to the inspiration given by this defiant album. This world will not impose its will. I will not give up and I will not give in. I love this album from start to finish. I think it's great and the never stop section of some kind of nothingness is a genuine manix rush. The, the, the descent is strident and determined while Golden Platitude has revealed itself to be a rich slow burner. Yes, Emma, it has. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I have to mention that this album was the last time we got a treasure trove of great B-sides. The world had imposed its will and I laid my rock and roll dreams to rest. However, it turns out that rock and roll is an old man's game. So hopefully it will go back to being that way sometime soon. I love the Strictly performance too, and I was delighted to hear on your show that it created a fan. Love you long time, Phil. I'm I'm sorry to everybody who sees Golden Platitudes for the genius, fabulous song that it is. I wish I did. Um, right, I put a poll out on Twitter. Um, rating, obviously, five to two stars, because mm-hmm. no Manic album is one star. No. Five stars, this surprised me, 15%. Oh. Four stars, 46%. Yeah. Three stars, 27%. And I can't I can't work out who would do this. Two stars, 12%. Oh. So four, mean, four stars we, is the winner. Yeah, if we had rated the whole album out of five stars, I would have given it four. You can't you can't be doing this now. I know. But I am. Because I am a contrary madam. <laughs> right. I've got a couple of comments on Twitter from one's from Blized Tift. And I hope I said that right. Great album, although not their finest. I think it rivals and even betters Send Away the Tigers. Considering it was their last shot at mass communication, it did pave way for more experimental stuff, in particular Rewind the Film and Futurology. Both excellent albums. I think it kind of, I think it kind of did, did kind of pave way to that. Um, okay, Bobby Hayes. As with almost all Manix albums, my initial reaction is to say I love Postcards from a Young Man, but when I think about it, it's really the first half I love. The second half drops a few notches for me. The album as a whole is good, but their initial run of seven songs is great. Certainly Manix at their most upbeat musically, It's Not War is probably my favourite of their recent music video efforts, if a decade ago can be considered recent. I always forget how long these albums have been out. This is one of those albums I listen to a lot. Mm. So it, yeah. it does feel weird that it's ten years ago. So on the Facebook comments, do you want to start with that, Emma? Uh, Simon Hall says it's one of his favourite Manix albums. Barclay Smith, which is an excellent name, by the way, uh, says underrated, good singles, which I would agree with. Colin Selby says very underrated, goes under the radar. In fact, Some Kind of Nothingness is my favourite Manic song. So there you go. Epic song. Do you like that one? And Craig Cooper says the chorus to Some Kind of Nothingness still sends a chill down my spine. Two of the greatest vocalists of the, lo- the past 40 years together on one track. What's not to love? Andy says a billion balconies facing the sun having Duff play bass is a great start but then James two, James's two solos are breathtaking 
Nicola says some kind of nothingness, nothingness is so blissful. What a gorgeous sunny song. Uh, Phil Cragg says this is a much underrated album. Love the little gospel and soul touches on the likes of Golden Platitudes and Some Kind of Nothingness. That latter of which and the title track being among their finest singles in my view and I wish they'd play them live more often. I agree with that. And the album rocks in places too. A Billion Balconies, the almost garage rock of Don't Be Evil and the John Cale assisted Auto Intoxication which feels like sections of three different songs bolted together but somehow works. And to top it off we get the gorgeous The Future Has Been here forever you're not going to like me phil i'm sorry with nikki's lo-fi vocal matched to sean's trumpet quite a few fans seem to see postcards as just send away the tigers part two but it isn't it's a much more ambitious album than that which is basically made up of rock songs with string sections postcards stretches the formula and for me it's a much more satisfying album than send away the tigers yes phil right uh, old man ron who might be called Ron Oldman, or is a man called Ron who is old? I don't know. This is right. Postcards was in ways a glorious failure. Its attention to reconnect with the masses was always going to be a busted flush. The masses and their music taste had moved on. As a Manix fan, I found it as a whole weak, and yet containing some of my favourite songs. Hazelton Avenue, though it cribs from Lenny Kravitz, is both musically, vocally stellar and relatable lyrically. Golden Platitudes has the Mannix meets Take That vibe. Right, there you go. We were talking about Take That earlier. Yeah. It all comes round. I've never got the Take That vibe from Golden Platitudes. I can't say I have, as and I say that as a Mannix and a Take That fan. Great choir, and again... Why colonise the moon when every different kind of desperation exists? I think the, it, he cribbed it from the writer of The Golden Notebook, but still a fantastic lyric that harks back to the old manic sloganeering. It's phrases to infiltrate the listener. I always love Nicky Wire's, Nicky Wire's lead vocals, so the future has been here forever is a joy. I never hear, I think I found it, praised either, ignored or hated. It's my favourite track on the album. Mm. With the passing of time, the album hasn't aged well. What followed with Rewind the Film and Futurology being better so musically, lyrically and conceptually. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, Carol Weatherhead is not going to like me either. Um, because she opens <laughs> with Golden Platitudes, Gorgeous. Look, I just want to say I never said it was a bad song. It's just not my favourite. There is some son- there is a sonic depth to the tracks that makes it a warm, friendly listen. Not groundbreaking, but plenty of quality songs. Kieran Kelly, probably their most rock-pop-produced album, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Nicky Wire had admitted in the lead-up to the album it was their last attempt at mass communication, explaining the produced nature of the album. It's Not War, Just the End of Love, is one of the best singles they ever released. <sighs> Oh, shark and take a breath. Um, and a particularly strong one for a band making their 10th album. With the quality of their 13 albums, I'll put this somewhere in the middle. Uh, Alan Higgins says it's one of his favourite albums. Dave Roberts says it's his go-to album when driving. Absolutely love this album. Mark, Mark Byron says, I love this album and I'm having The Descent played at my funeral. I want Design for Life at mine because I want the end of my funeral to be like the end of a gig. 
Uh, is there going to be confetti? I was just going to say, I am going to see if I can get somebody to get a confetti cut. <laughs> just, you know, on the, on, whoever conducts a service to say, hey, p- get pissed, destroy. P- kaboom, design for life, good night. <laughs> if it's a, a crematorium and it's, the box is being lo- lowered, this is it, the descent. I mean, mine will be a natural burial. But um, we've gone dark. But we've, carry gone, on. we've gone very, we have gone very dark. But um, but yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I nearly said something very dark. Then I was just about to say, what are your manic's funeral songs? Who else wants a manic song at their funeral? What song and why? But let's not make that a talking point. You know, let's, let's that do, might be too do. dark even for us. Let's do make that a talking point. Okay. I, I am on it now. <laughs> Send us your tweets and your emails, please. This one is from Jesper. Hope my English is okay. To me, it feels like the Manics on autopilot. I don't think I've ever been more disappointed with a lead single, I would agree with this, than when I first heard It's Not Love. Mm. The whole mass communication stuff just makes it seem too calculated, like they're trying too hard to be something they are not. It is by far my least favourite album by them. I just find it rather soulless overproduced and boring it totally lacks that energy the energy and spark of all their other records however that said some kind of nothingness is a banger and so (laughs) here we go and so is golden platitudes and the title track is also all right um we are a broad church we're we're, and i've been in broad church (laughs) um of all opinions, and that's all good, but I don't. I I personally don't understand the fact that people say it lacks energy. Mm, it, definitely not. It's it's fizzing with energy to me. I do understand the disappointment with it's not war, just the end of love. Yes, although I when I first heard it, I did go, "Oh, that's a corker of a song." The more I heard it, the more I was like, "It's starting to feel a little bit like Paint by Numbers now," and I am. There are there are very few songs I will say this about when I go to see the Manics because when I go to see the Manics I lose myself and I'm just really excited to see them. I don't care what they sing. They could sing Golden Platitudes twenty five <laughs> times. It's not my least favorite song. Wait till we get to my least favorite Manics song and then you will really see what an angry Emma sounds like. <laughs> but yeah, I. There is something where I do sort of go, oh, God, not this again. <laughs> it's not a bad song. There's nothing about it that's a bad song. It's just... It, it is painting by numbers, manic style, isn't it? That's exactly yeah. what it is. Okay, that's it. We have covered our first Manics album. Wow. I feel like we've grown up. It's only taken six hours. <laughs> We started this 84 years ago. So next week, 
We have got a really exciting guest lined up. I can't reveal it because the government will kill me if I do. <gasps> They're killing everyone else, so. Keep your Manix origin stories coming in. Manixspeaker at gmail.com. Written and audio we love. Contact us on Twitter at MSP underscore pod. We have a new feature lined up as well. Are you ready for this, Emma? I'm going to do a drum roll. Because you've got Sean to do it. I'm sorry. I'll DM him if you like. <laughs> we want to know about your experiences from the past, present and future tour. From, I believe it's 2005. Because at that stage, until the This Is My Truth tour last year, which I couldn't get to, that was the only tour I missed since 1998. Ah. And do you know what? I know the set list was fucking incredible. It was freaking immense. That was the first tour I ever queued for and got the barrier. In fact, oh, I will, I'll save my story. I'll save my story. I hate you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's not, but it's not just about the set list. It's not just about the gig itself. What happened around it? Did you fall in love? Did you fall out of love? Did you fall unconscious in the pit? Did you, did you descend from the stage like an angel? That would be cool. Unrealistic. But any kind of stories around that tour, I'm I'm particularly interested because I want to know how good it was so I can rage with seething jealousy even more because that's the tour, first tour in years that I haven't been to. Um, but guess what I'm calling this, this section? Oh, do tell. From despair to were you there? From despair to were you there? I'm just going to... Yes. Let us know your stories from the past, present and future tour. Your Manix origin stories. That's it for episode three. It's been a slog. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a fucking slog. (laughs) I think we all need to just lie down. (laughs) This is a bit where you do the sign out. Yes, I know. I'm just just leading to it. Um, So in spite of the length of time we've kept you here, we love you one time, we love you two times, we love you three fucking times. Thank you all for coming to the service. Get pissed. Destroy. Good night. need to do is create a powerful sense of dread. See, the longer the note, the more dread. God, that's terrible. It's worse than Daryl's bloody core on Glay. Oh, they're useless. I wish they were all robots. I wish I was a robot. Maybe I could punch through a wall.